For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. Meta Sutta This is what should be accomplished by the one who is wise, who seeks the good and has obtained peace. Let one be strenuous, upright, and sincere, without pride, easily contented and joyous. Let one not be submerged by the things of the world. Let one not take upon oneself the burden of riches. Let one's senses be controlled, let one be wise but not puffed up, and let one not desire great possessions even for one's family. Let one do nothing that is mean or that the wise would reprove. May all beings be happy, may they be joyous and live in safety. All living beings, whether weak or strong and high or middle or low realms of existence, small or great, visible or invisible, near or far, born or to be born, may all beings be happy. Let no one deceive another nor despise any being and any state. Let none by anger or hatred wish harm to another. Even as a mother, at the risk of her life, watches over and protects her only child, so with a boundless mind should one cherish all living things, suffusing love over the entire world, above, below, and all around without limit. So let one cultivate an infinite goodwill toward the whole world, standing or walking, sitting or lying down during all our waking hours. Let one practice the way with gratitude, not holding to fixed views, endowed with insight, freed from sense appetites. One who achieves the way will be freed from the duality of birth and death. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the Metta Sutta. We dedicate this merit to all original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, 
our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen, our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu, the perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri, to the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world. Gratefully, we offer this virtue to all beings. All Buddhas throughout space and time. All honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas. Wisdom beyond wisdom, maha prajna paramita. Whenever she is ready, or Taigen perhaps would like to introduce tonight's speaker. Uh, Asian, would you like to introduce Jerry, please? Um, to a Dharma student who needs no introduction, um, <laughs> I will present to you uh, Jerry Griffin, who is has been at different times our assistant Tenzo and a board member and a long, long time practitioner of Zen, both at Ancient Dragon and previously elsewhere. Um, so thank you for speaking tonight, Jerry. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to speak and for practicing with me and being willing to listen to what I have to say. Um, so I wanted to talk about something that I've been thinking about lately and practicing with, and that is how do you know if you have enough? You know, I'm at the age when I'm getting close to retirement, and my friends say to me, do you have enough? You know, they want to know, do you have enough to retire? And I see my friends and my siblings, they're all taking apart their houses and giving away their things. So I want to talk about stuff, the stuff in our life, the stuff we possess, the things that come into our life. What are all these forms and things that come into our life, and how do we think about them and feel about them, and what does that have to do with our practice? How does that impact our practice? So I want to start with this article in the New Yorker magazine in March by Anne Pratchett. She's a novelist. She wrote The Dutch House. And um, she wrote this article called How to Practice Cleaning House and the Art of Letting Go. So in this story, what she starts out, her best friend's father dies. And she knew this woman all her life, and she knew her dad very well. So they go to his townhouse to clean it out. And it takes them weeks and weeks to clean through everything he has there. And she starts to think, well, what about my house? I have all this stuff in my house. I've lived there for 40 years. You know, she doesn't have any kids of her own. She's like, well, who's going to do that for me? So she talks to her husband, and they decide, okay, we're going to take an inventory. We're going to go through our house. We're going to clean everything up. And so... She starts down my path, and, for, and they decide to put the basement as a staging ground. 
And they'll, so they'll move everything they don't want to the basement. And then she thinks they'll put everything in the basement they don't want, and then they'll give it away. And her husband's like, no, no, we got to start like talking to friends and people to come over and start taking this stuff away. So when she starts, you know, she goes like if you were going to move, she comes across drawers that have, you know, five decks of cards and pieces of things that from something broken. And as soon as you figure out what's broken, you'll go and fix it with this piece of thing you're saving for. So a lot of stuff she just tosses. But then she comes across some other things, and she talks about four things in specifically that have more meaning and value for her. So when she starts in her kitchen, up in the cabinet, she has these this wonderful set of china and silverware and champagne, Waterford champagne glasses. That when she was younger, she collected over time because she was going to be the hostess with the mostest and have these elegant dinner parties. Well, that never panned out. She never had elegant dinner parties. And these dishes and silverware and lovely glasses have sat there for 30-odd years. And she's bringing them down to the basement, and she thinks, did I just appoint these dishes? Like, have they just been silently waiting there for me to come and get them and bring them out and have them do their thing and be a part of this elegant birthday party? And so she brings them down to the basement, and... The next thing she comes up with is she has this lamp that she bought in the 70s, maybe, and it's ugly. She thought, what what was I thinking when I bought this ugly lamp? And she never really liked it. So she takes it down to the basement, too, and she thinks, does this lamp resent me? Does this, you know, I bring it into my house and I kick it to the side and ignore it, and I think it's ugly and useless. And she puts it in the box, and her friends come over, and one of them wants this lamp, and she kind of feels guilty. She's like, really? You want this ugly lamb? She feels like she's giving away junk to people. And, and, and she doesn't, she's like, I don't, you know, I don't want to burden you with, with, you know, with useless stuff that nobody wants. And then she gets to the bedrooms and she comes to this box up in the closet of these two um, American fashion dolls. And one of them, she played with a lot, so it's pretty beat up, and it's missing some hair, and the face is kind of smashed in, and it doesn't have a sock, and one of the shoes is missing. And the other one is pristine. She looks at these dolls, and she thinks, you know, they've been sitting up here in this box. Have these dolls been happily playing along in the closet without me all these years? What have these dolls been doing sitting up there in that closet without me? And so she ends up giving the dolls to a friend of hers granddaughter. And then she comes across this manual Hermes 3000 typewriter. And this is like the love of her life. She had this when she was in college and it weighs a ton. And she loved it back and forth to home and back to school. And she loved it to writing workshops. And she wrote some of the first things that she published. She wrote on this typewriter. And she's kind of thought that the typewriter did her writing for her. And it turns out one of her friends has been looking for a manual typewriter and they can't find one because that works. So she thinks, oh, you know, it's been sitting in the closet for 25 years ever since I got a computer and I don't really use it. She goes online to see if the ribbons are still available and they are. And she she watches this little YouTube with Tom Hanks talking about the manual typewriter and how to put the ribbon in and what a joy it is. And she types on, I love you, I love you, I love you on the typewriter to see if it still works. And and so finally she thinks, 
okay, maybe I could give it to my friend who wants to have a manual typewriter. And that evening, she takes a walk with her husband around the block, and she's telling him the story about how she's decided to give away this love of her life typewriter that she hasn't used in 25 years. And her husband says to her, why don't you just give him my manual typewriter? And she says, you have a manual typewriter? He says, yeah, you gave me one when we were dating because you said every man had to have a typewriter in their life. And that's what they end up doing. They give away the Olivetta typewriter instead of her, the one that she loved. And then she realizes that her family somehow has cotton on the idea that she's doing this inventory clearing out. And they start to bring her things of hers that they have. So they lug it over to her house to say, oh, look, we have these letters that you wrote to us when you were in college on that wonderful Hermes 3000 manual typewriter you have. And look, we have these, these, these toys you played with when you were young. And she says it's like they sensed a vacuum and wanted to start filling it up. So she gets about, she's going on with this process, and she's about probably three-fourths of the way through, and she has this to say about it, which is really interesting. She says, she writes, this was the practice. I was starting to get rid of my possessions, at least the useless ones, because possessions stood between me and death. They didn't protect me from death. But they created a barrier in my understanding, like layers of bubble wrap. So that instead of thinking about what was coming and the beauty that was here and now, I was thinking about the piles of shiny trinkets I've accumulated over the year. I had begun the journey of digging out. So I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about my own life and how I think about the things that come into my life. And I remembered when I was, oh, I must have been 19 or 20 years old. And I had this job in a nursing home as an, what they called an activity worker. So I would run discussion groups and little quizzes and sing-alongs and stuff like that. And one of the tasks of the job was when someone died, you had to go to their room and collect all their belongings and dispose of them. So there was this one woman who had these... Oh, she had this lovely collection of postcards. Most of them were European. And some of them people had sent to her when they were traveling. So, you know, they had the postage cancellation on them and a little note on the back from her. And some of them she had in one of these frames, like the one behind me, you know, where you can put more than one thing in a picture. And some of them were just loose. But, oh, and each one had its own little like adventure exploration story that went with them. And they were just really nice postcards. So she dies. And the next day I went to her room to collect her belongings and things. And nobody wanted these postcards. And I remember looking at these postcards and holding them and thinking, what happened here? What happened to all the value and the joy and, 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 and now they were little yellow pieces of cardboard with scribbles on them. And for a moment, I thought, well, you could, like, rescue these. You could take them home with you and rescue them. And I thought, okay, you're not bringing these postcards back to life, girl. And I was, like, devastated. And when I went home for the next couple of years, 
I like went into this minimalist period. Like I was always giving away things. I went through, if I didn't touch it for a couple of months, it went out the door. It was like, no, you don't need this. You don't need this. I was just, I was down to let's be minimalist. We're having a very simple life here. We don't need any of this stuff. And my sister came by one day and I don't even know how she got what I was doing, but she looked at me and she said, okay, there are some things I need here. And she went through and she took the family pictures I had. She took, I had some yearbooks that my brother had when he was in high school. She took those. She took this pair of blue ice skates that I had when I was nine or 10 that I I thought I was so cool going around in these blue ice skates. And, you know, I was so desperately trying to avoid that sense of loss, you know, and she was just showing up to say, okay, I don't know what you think you're doing here, but some stuff here is, you know, there's value in here. And in a sense, you know, what Ann talks, Patrick talks about this article and that experience of minimalism, minimalism, it's the same thing. You know, things come into our life. They hang out with us. You know, we change them. They get worn out. They change us. We change. And then they go away. And when I think about that, that seems like, you know, and we've all heard that story before. Things arise, they exist, they fade away. And I think, okay, I get that. But I don't know. There is a lot of energy that goes around trying to avoid the loss part. You know, here's Ann Patchett, who's hanging on to things that really don't belong to her anymore. You know, things that were once important to her that represented who she was and who she was going to be. And she changed. You know, she's got these dolls that the dolls changed. They're, you know, they're off playing by themselves now without her. So she took one approach is, you know, to hold on to things so you don't have to, like, admit that you changed or the world changed or or you're going to lose things. You know, I kind of took the more proactive approach that said, okay, we see where this is going. If this is all about loss, 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 let's just opt out of the whole program here and just not have anything and problem solved. But it's not really solved because then, you know, you miss out on the arising part. You miss out on the, on the exchange part, on the relationship part, on the sort of the dance with all of the things we own and want to have in our life and enjoy. And I'm a little bit amazed because, again, this principle about things arise, they hang out, they go away. It just seems so natural and so straightforward. And you think, okay, I can work with this. This is a no-brainer. But in real living out every day like this is hard. It's hard to think about what are the things in our life and how do we see things and how do we see them without anthropomorphizing them or, you know, infusing them with traits or qualities that they don't have of their own, but still, you know, they're forms, you know, they're, there's more than human forms hanging around on this planet and, and where do they all fit and, and how do we, how do we develop a sense of that aesthetic? Like what is the aesthetic for a typewriter or a pair of blue skates or postcards? 
you know, clearly I got over my minimalist days. One day I was cleaning out. I have this drawer in my kitchen with that I keep kitchen utensils in. And one day I was cleaning it out, and I found that I had eight potato peelers. And I thought, okay, what exactly went on here? How do you get eight potato peelers? And and they were all nice, but I thought, you know, you don't really know what a potato peeler is. You don't appreciate what it does and how it works and the importance and the role it plays. Because if you did, you wouldn't be out there gobbling them all up like you were missing something. You would get one decent potato peeler and you would dance with it. It would work for you. It wouldn't be it wouldn't be an obsessive crazy thing that you had to have, you know, and on the other hand, you don't want to go the austere route and have nothing, but how do we learn that? I don't know that aesthetic of forms to like know what we have and appreciate it. And how do we teach that to each other? That way to say, you know, there's things that come into our life and they're absolutely wonderful and they, kind of help us define who we are and we help define what they are. And then, you know, life changes and things move on and then they go away. And it just, I don't know, you know, it's been 40 years on and I'm still thinking, I'm still like, okay, I still run around thinking, okay, is there a way I could avoid that lost part at the end there? You know, you think after all this time, I think, okay, but that you're not changing the universal structure here. That's how it works. Things arise, you hang out with them, they go away. But there's still a lot of energy spent on trying to avoid it. And I think it's because we don't have that aesthetic or that etiquette or sense of elegance about forms and what they do and how they operate in our lives. There's this little essay by um, Rita Gross. She's a Shambhala teacher in this book called Hooked. It's a collection of Buddhist writings on greed, desire, and the urge to consume, edited by Stephanie Kaza. And her article is called Form and Elegance with Just Enough. And this article is really more about consumption than it is about trying to figure out how to deal with things arising, hanging out with us, and then going away. But she has this to say that I really like. She says, if one truly enjoys with elegance and dignity what one needs to consume, there is no need for more. Conversely, if that appreciation is lacking, one will never have enough no matter how much one has. So... That's what I've been thinking about. How do we learn that aesthetic of forms? And how do we learn to appreciate things for just how they are, just how they appear? And and, and how do we learn just to know that, that, that we have enough? So that's my offering for today. I'm hoping people will have comments or things to add to the conversation about how to think about the things in our life and how to think about that balance when things arise and we they're part of our life and then they go away without leaning towards excessive 
grabbing everything in sight or saying, you know what, I don't need any of it because I don't want to deal with the loss part. That there's a way somehow to learn some sort of the dignity and elegance of forms that, yeah, that would be useful to to learn and to teach each other and to teach ourselves. So thank you for listening to me and I'm hoping people have comments or things to add to the conversation. And thank you for practicing with me. I guess I can get this started, if that's okay. Um, This is something that I really, really struggle with, like a lot (laughs) and always have, Um, is that like the physical objects in my life kind of take on a a life of their own. Um, And I find it nearly impossible to get rid of anything because I always remember Often it's because I remember where I was when I got it, who I was with, what I was doing, that time in my life. Um, You know, I'll pick up a book and I'm like, ah, I was in this bookstore. I was at the bookstore with this person, you know. Um, And so, I mean, my current policy is I'm just, I'm extremely critical about bringing anything new into my life because it's really easy for me to not get new things, but it's nearly impossible for me to get rid of them once I have them. Um, so I don't know, I mean, I don't know what to do about that. Like, cause I get overwhelmed sometimes about the amount of stuff that I have, but then start looking at individual items and I'm like, well, I, I can't get rid of this. This is important because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, and then my, my mother goes through bouts of the exact opposite where she'll just throw out cherished childhood stuff of mine. Um, you know, and I, they moved 10 years ago and, uh, just pretty close to where they were before. And she decided, you know, I'm going to start eating our meals off of our wedding china. We got this beautiful china for our wedding. We never use it. Let's use it for what it was. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, great. Uh, but in the process of that, she got rid of all of the dishes that I ate every meal on, uh, you know, for 18 years of my life as a kid without letting anyone know beforehand. And I'm like, well, I'm now living on my own in an apartment and I have no dishes and it would kind of be nice to have these dishes. Um, and I'm still, I'm still 10 years later holding on to anger at her about that. Um, and, you know, her desire to get rid of it is, I think an expression of something going on in her, my inability to let go of my frustration at that is is an expression of something going on inside of me. Um, I don't know what those two things are going inside of us. Um, I'm not making a point. I just, it really resonated with me because it's something that I struggle with, like in a tangible way, almost every single day. It's just the materiality of the stuff around me. Um, and I find it really hard. So I, I appreciate feeling slightly less alone um, in that. Thank you, Jerry. Yeah, I, I don't think you're alone at all. I have friends who are going through their houses, they're downsizing, and they tell me they have to sit on a very good day when they're in a good mood because it's hard work going through things and saying, keep, give away. You know, and you 
You run through all the memories of your life, like you said, when you got it and it's a part of you. And in a way, you're throwing away a piece of yourself. And, you know, I, it sounds easy on paper. Arise, hang out, fall away. It's hard. You know, we, we, people have storage units off of their homes to store stuff because this is too hard to do. They, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't know how to say goodbye to things. We don't know how to, you know, take in, okay, you know, when I had this and I bought it, that was who I was and I've changed and it's changed and it's that moving on is, it's, it's, Sounds simple, but it ain't. Mike and I recently watched a couple episodes of the show Hoarders. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's kind of hard to watch. Um, we only made it through a few. Uh, and, uh, I mean, obviously that's a that's a mental health disorder, but I couldn't help but feeling I'm like, oh, I'm – I'm a lot less different from them than I might like to think. Like it was really kind of resonating with me inside. And I'm like, mm, okay, this is, yeah, this is holding up a mirror. My, my space is a normal person's space, but it was holding up a mirror to like impulses that I very deeply associated with. Yeah, I could understand. Yeah. And you know, the flip side of that, you know, my approach is to say, well, don't have anything. You know, that's, you know, you sometimes you go into somebody's house and they have a nice minimal house and everything is clean and no, there's nothing out and there's no clutter. And you think, oh, isn't that lovely? But, you know, that's not exactly, you know, the answer either. Because then again, you miss out on the, you miss out on the arising and the hanging out part. You know, that's kind of the fun part. It's, it's, yeah, it sounds simple, but it's it's not an easy it's not easy to think about. And learning how to practice that, like trying to find I don't know, I always look for, you know, okay, if I wanna learn something new, okay, is there a trick here or a technique I could employ or a or a mantra <laughs> I could come up with that says, Okay, remember this, you're doing this now. Or, okay, we're, we're trying to train your brain to go this way or train yourself to go this way. I don't know what there is, except I like this idea of thinking about what Rita Girls talks about, this elegance and etiquette. And what is the elegance and etiquette of things in our lives? And how do we, like, honor what their purpose is and point is? And, you know, you don't want to, like, again, anthropomize things or put, you know, traits on things that don't have them. But... Part of it is, too, what do the kids say? You know, you're not the main character here. You know, we're not the main form here. There's other forms hanging out here besides just us, you know. And to sort of have an appreciation for for the things in our lives. And sometimes, you know, even if just the awareness of, okay, this is going on. It's like me when I looked at those eight potato peelers. It was like okay, let's have a little awareness here. What's going on? You know, not that maybe even your habits change necessarily, but just to have that awareness that, okay, there's something here that needs to be thought about or kicked around in the head for a while, say what kicked around in the brain or, you know, sat with to sort of think, okay, could we be doing this better? Or we think about this in a different way or 
how does this impact other things in my practice and my life? And what does this mean to me? And what does it mean to my practice? Is it helping? Is it getting in the way of my practice? Is it, is it neutral either way? You know, it's just to have that awareness is also a, it's a plus. Yeah, Yosan. Thank you, Jerry, for an interesting talk. Um, I mean, there's a lot going on in this stuff uh, that you're talking about in our relationship to objects. But I, I was really struck by this thing about Ann Patchett um, having uh, these uh, dishes for these dinner parties that never materialized. And that, that really speaks to me in the sense that it sort of indicates... Um, you know, you've talked about the, uh, the elegance of stuff and the form of stuff, the etiquette of stuff. And I think there's a great deal of fantasy about stuff. Um, you know, she, these, these dinner parties never materialized. They did not accord with the person she was, apparently, but she was very resistant to accepting that. I mean, I have all these, I don't know if you see them, I have all these books behind me. Um, many of which I've had for decades. Um, I mean, many, many have been read and are really, really useful. Many have been never read, you know, and they, you know, they seem to hang out as, you know, two, two things. One, um, you know, fantasies I've had about the kind of person I was going to be, the kind of things I was going to know, um, that that I've apparently been reluctant to sort of say no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. You know, you're never you're never going to read through and through volume two of of Das Kapital. You know, it's it's not going to happen <laughs> at this point. Um, I still want it to happen. So you know, and so there's that dimension of fantasy, and then the hanging on to stuff. I think there's a dimension of fantasy that I mean, fundamentally. I think perhaps what we're trying to do is hang on to um, a notion of ourselves, right? If that's still here, that that little boy I was 50 years ago in some sense is still here, but he's not, you know, and there's some, you know, there's something, you know, I mean, I've got some photographs that I take out every 10 years and I'd like to see them, but, you know, I, I, there's a reluctance to accept that, no, fundamentally, that that person is going to be is gone. And fundamentally, you know, like in tomorrow, this person is going to be gone, right? And you know, I don't have to. You know, we sort of array ourselves with these, you know, mandalas of things to try and support. Um, I don't know. Either it's a, I don't know if it's negative or positive. Either we're supporting a notion of who we think we are or, or trying to stave off the insecurity of knowing that, um, you know, that, um, as you say, things, uh, rise and, and fall, including us, you know, that's, that's a tough one for people. That's all I got. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one to me. And I have to say, you know, the more I think about this, this whole idea of the falling off part 
I don't know. There's a part of me that thinks, really, this should not be that hard. You know, but it's kind of like, you know, when someone, you know, dies and you're always shocked, like, what happened? Yeah. You know, and a friend of mine, her mom, her grandmother lived to be 106. And she called her doctor to say, well, what happened? And her do- she said, my doctor on the phone burst out laughing. He said to me, you know, your sister and brother called me with the same question. They said, he said, she was 106. What did you think was going to happen here? But, you know, we're always like stunned. Oh, my God, they died. And it's not like we know somebody who's not going to die, you know. And it's not like we know people who have things they, you know, that they're not eventually going to give up. But it's still, I'm telling you, when I saw those, when I, I still remember, and I was 40 years ago, I stood in that room with these postcards in my hand, just devastated that, what happened here? How did something of value turn into dust? In like, well, I was sleeping literally. It was like, what? It, it's, it's, and it. Things change. We change. The things we own change, and it's, it's a, it's a conundrum to sort of figure out, you know, how to, how to be able to stop you know, trying to opt out of that process because there's no opting out. I mean, it's that this is how it works. Things arise, they hang out, and they go away, you know. It's kind of to her advantage to sort of sit with that and say, okay, let's see if we can, like, somehow come to terms with or maneuver around or think this through or, you know, put put our hearts and, in, 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 you know, our cores into how to, how to, manage this arising and hanging out and falling off process because it, you know 40 years later I'm still like you know thinking okay what's up with this loss process bit here it's not yeah Ishing, go ahead well thank you Jerry um you know, when I first started practicing, I remember reading about equanimity and how the Buddha had equanimity. And I thought, you know, maybe that's the goal is to just, you know, be able to let everything go. And, um, or, or to, that is a goal, but what I thought it meant, like not feeling like, you know, you just, you should just be ready to just, you know, let everything go every moment. And while I think that's true, I don't think, anymore that it means not feeling, you know, I, I think, um, I hope that it means, you know, embracing our life and then having the grace and the courage to be able to let go when we have to let go, but, but not to push things away, not to hold on to things too tight. You know, it's just, um, I remember at our old temple, there was that, card by the door that was framed that said, you know, meetings will end in parting and gain will end in loss. And I, I forget what the other two are. I know it's, it's like fame and disgrace and, you know, praise and blame, you know, it's, it's everything had, we, we get something and then we lose something. And um, I don't honestly think that I'll ever have enough. (laughs) 
So, you know, I back to your original question. I I feel like that was, you know, something that that the Buddha, you know, kind of talked about that it's 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 part of our human nature to want to, you know, become more and more and more and to, you know, get more and more and and um and practice really goes against the grain of that. You know, I think we I think I practice Zen to be able to maybe let go of things a little bit um, at the appropriate time, but um, but it's still so hard, you know. But I I don't I don't want to. I you know I I don't want to go to bed. I don't want to you know lose something. Um, and yeah, holding on to holding on to those things from the past. Um, I. I can't even I, I can't even come up with a intellectual why about it. It's there's something visceral about, you know, no, no, don't take don't take this away from me. But uh but but I practice with it so that I will hopefully be able to withstand it. Yeah. Hi again. Hi again, you wanted to say something. Well I, I, thank you, Jerry. I had, uh, I think that was a very rich topic. I have a number of responses to it but one of them is about things the glamour of things uh i remember when i was younger it's been a while but i used to really like to have something new something new and shiny you know we like to have new things i mean i think that's what our consumerist society is built on in part you know you have to get more and new and and uh, and it's been a while since i felt that but I was thinking of something in, in Japanese culture where uh, you were talking about anthropomorphizing, and this isn't exactly that, but they they actually feel like there's a spirit to objects. So there are there are pictures and paintings of of like teapots and teacups and uh, I don't know, just household objects with faces, you know, and and make you know smiling or you know having funny. Funny, just to set to appreciate this object has some some life animation to it. Uh, so there's a thing about respecting objects too. Uh, I, I just there's I have a number of things like, but just the middle way you were looking for of too much, not enough, or you know, uh, it's uh, I think it's a challenge. It's a challenge in different ways for for all of us. So maybe that's enough to say that. Thank you. Interesting you say that about things having like a spirit of their own. One of my friends, they moved to Florida and his wife, his his son and daughter-in-law were over and there was this can opener out on the table. And so she, they needed the can opener. She said, yeah, take it home. And when Ray came home, she was, he was like, you gave away my can opener. She was like, well, we have another one. He said, no, no, that was my can opener. And she said he, he he had this sense like, yeah, like it had some spirit to him. And by giving away his can opener, I gave away a part of him. And it was a whole new way to look at it to her. She was like, I had no idea he would react it that way. So it's an interesting, that's an interesting thought that things have that we own have some sort of possession, you know, or some spirit of their own. Yeah. Well, see, I think that's part of my 
my problem is that I had I had imbued those childhood dishes with a life of their own, and then they were given away out from under me, and and it's caused you know suffering in my life because I I went yeah you too much the other direction, right? Um, which is you know me saying that it's easy not to it's easier for me to not to get things in the first place because the minute I own them they suddenly have like this preciousness about like a uniqueness that's tied to history in part, that's tied to like the material resources that went into creating them that gets tied into environmental issues in my mind. And so, right. It becomes a whole big, a whole big thing. Um, So I, I I guess my comment is that cuts both ways, right. Saying that, that, items have have a spirit of their own yeah because i i'm probably too far the other direction where i need to like step back a little bit and say no this is a this is a useful item and either it's useful to me or not and if it's not that i need to part with it um, so. but in some ways too you know we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves in some ways Sometimes things tell us when it's time for them to go away, you know. There's that aspect of it, too. You know, things know when they sort of have to move on and somebody comes around and you realize, oh, yeah, this would be perfect for you. Or, you know, oh, you know, you see someone, you say, I have this at home. I've had it for a long time. You would just love this. And those kind of things happen as well. So, you know, sometimes it's that dance, you know, that we have with the things in our life. You know, they inform us. We inform them. It's kind of a two-way Dance. Yeah. Mike. Um, yeah, thank you for your talk. Um, I was reminded of, um, I don't think this is a new thing, but it seems to be talked about a lot more lately. Um, you know, we talk about um, relationships with people and, you know, um, relationships come and go and, you know, sometimes it's, you know, when a relationship needs to end. Um, but lately people have talked a lot, um, in social media about, uh, friend breakups, which is, uh, an interesting concept I never thought of because I think, you know, people come in and out of our lives and a lot of times, you know, we, cause we all change and someone who, you know, maybe we were, um, friends with someone in college and then, you know, 20 years pass and we haven't talked to them and we may not even like relate to them anymore. Um, but we, if they would come by, you know, we'd still maybe call them a friend. And then, so like, um, there's, you know, people are now talking about, um, kind of really kind of letting that go. It's like, Oh, this person, you've outgrown this person or this person maybe you feel isn't meant to be in your life anymore. And, and actually stating that and saying, you know, thank you for, you know, being in my life. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, it's best if we, you know, are no longer friends. And it kind of releases you of some social expectations. Um, and when I think about that, I think it's very hard to do because uh, I'm a people pleaser. And so I don't like um, <laughs> making people like, I don't want to like put a wall between someone, but then also like, uh, it's an interesting concept of because we were talking about you know letting go of things, but also letting go of, of people. Um, so your talk made me think of that. So I don't know if anyone has thoughts about that.
I just wonder if any of the other people who haven't spoken have thoughts. There's so much to to, to respond to in this, but. You know, this idea of letting go of people. I don't know. Somehow I always think when people go out of my life, and maybe I've been lucky that way, it's always been sort of mutual. You know, we just stop calling each other or we stop coming around and we sort of both realize, okay, something faded here. I don't think I've ever had to tell anybody I don't know if I actually could do it to say to somebody, you know, I, I, I don't want to in my life anymore because I guess there's a part of me that thinks, well, I might. <laughs> you know, how do I know what's going to happen next or where I'm going to be? Or That just seems like it, 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 it's sort of, a, it's sort of, I think you, you sort of have to, be sure of what you know. And I guess I'm never really sure of what I know <laughs> at any given moment. And so it's hard to make those kind of definite decisions. I'm, I'm the same way. So I feel that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Matt, you were going to say something. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry, for your talk. I didn't have much to say about your talk, but this friendship idea, I think this is a new idea for another talk. I thought of a quote by Ben Franklin when you were just talking now, because, um, Ben Franklin said, be slow in choosing a friend, slower in changing. Basically, hold on to the friends you have before you make new friends. And I think about that with my best friend who just gets on my nerves. He's gotten on my nerves for 25 years. And I've always wanted to get rid of him as a friend. I think he's really bad for me, but he is loyal. He's loyal to me, and I'm loyal to him. And we disagree on pretty much everything, but it's weird. Like I'm loyal to him and he's loyal to me and that's all that matters. <laughs> like we hung out for the first time in six months last night and um, I just listened to him talk his nonsense and I just sat there and listened and I don't want to lose him as a friend because I don't have many friends and, um, and we've been through a lot of stuff together and I think ultimately that's what matters. So yeah, I always think about that Ben Franklin quote when I'm like, this guy needs to go and I'm like, no, <laughs> he doesn't need to go. I just need to settle down. So, but thank you for your talk. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. About three years ago, as kind of an extraordinary, uh, almost non-characteristic treat to myself, I bought a very nice bicycle. Um, and so it became a quandary what to do with the bicycle that I owned previously, which was 30 years old. It was still mechanically sound, but it had been through a lot. It's got a very dystopian, banged up vibe to it. And I, and I thought, well, should I, you know, you know, black, I should take it to Blackstone Bicycle Works and they can fix it up and give it to somebody or to one of the kids or whatever, you know, and for whatever reason I hung on to it and, you know, because of this sense of like, yeah, but it's like, I've got this, it's got almost got this, I do, I have this relationship to it. It was an important thing for me. Um, and then lo and behold, you know, a couple of weeks ago, my other bike, uh, somebody broke into our basement and stole it. So I don't have that bike anymore. So the other one has come out of mothballs and, uh, it's like, I'm, 
listening to its various knocks and feeling its various asymmetries as I ride. And it's like thinking, yeah, but this is pretty cool, you know, and I can take care of this and all that. And I think I've had the same experience with people too, you know, where for years it's like not much is happening. And, you know, and, and I've, I've sort of thought it would just be easier for both of us. If we could just say that let's like, let's let go of this and move on um, rather than pretending we have something to talk about. Um, but then lo and behold, something else shifts. And I mean, this is interesting to hear you talk about this loyalty map because uh you know, things shift and it's like, wait, that's, that's why, that's why I didn't give that up is because there, you know, because there, there was this sense that there was value to put it in your word value there something, you know, so how do you decide? I don't know. It's such a mystery because, you know, there've been that experience and then there's the, there are the people who just become, you know, I'm sure I'm a, become a weight on them. They've become a weight on me and how you discern it. I don't know. It's as you say, it's a, it's a dance where we all do it somewhat clumsily and I don't know. I, don't, I will stretch that metaphor out. You know, I think that we can feel that way about our practice a lot too. You know, that, that, that those feelings are so familiar of like, oh, this is going really well, or I like this, or I should be doing this, or, or I don't like this. I don't want to do this anymore. And I have found that sitting, you know, sticking with it through those feelings can be really helpful. And you can find out things that you wouldn't have known any other way. You know, Um, I know that uh, Suzuki Roshi would talk about, um, you know, taking good care of the things in the temple or the Zen center that, you know, that helps support our practice, whether it's, you know, taking good care of the chairs that we sit on or the, you know, brooms that we use to sweep. And I always, I always feel a little bit happy when I've really worn something out, you know, it's like, I, I, it's, it's worn out. I can't use it anymore. And, you know, it's time for something new. And um, I hope that's, I hope that's who I'll be, you know, 50 years from now, but, yeah, I'll be, I'll, you know, I, I hope that maybe by then I'll feel like, okay, you know what? I've worn this life out. There's nothing left. I'm ready for the next thing. Yeah. It's almost as if all of these other things about dealing with arising and hanging out and falling away. It's like, it's like practice for, for that, for the big time when we all, you know, when we go away and it's, and how do we how do we practice to do that? How do we practice so when we get to the end, you know, we're not clinging on to some, you know, life that you know is is unfulfilling and really spent. It's, you know, that you know that it's all about practicing how to how to deal with yeah things come in and things go away. Yeah, Mike. This made me think of something uh, other related. Um, uh, my my parents are both retiring this year, and they are um, 
we're now at the age, I, I guess, where we're having the discussion of uh, what happens after they die, because uh, I'm an only child, so it would just be me. Um, they decided that they, they don't want to be buried, because um, they, um, my mom, well, both of them, um, regularly take care of my mom's parents' tombstone, you know, they'll go a few times a year and make sure there are flowers on it, and um, my mom is very overly concerned about um, me not having to do that, um, especially because I live in a different place. My parents live in Ohio, um, and the burden that that would place on me to to do that. Um, and so, and I think you know, or for anyone, so it's not just me. But um, so you know, they decided to be cremated, and we've <laughs> had many humorous chats about. Um, uh, uh, how that should happen because you know if one passes then the other parent will will have the ashes and then when they both pass then you know then they'll um, both ashes will be in the same place and they've been searching for an appropriate vessel um, to keep the ashes in uh, something that is also um, not going to be a burden on me um, at one point my parents suggested uh, using a um, Garrett's popcorn tin <laughs> Because it would blunt in the rest of the house. It would. <laughs> to which I said, uh, I will uh, not let you do that. And I will uh, splurge for something a little better than that. Um, uh, my mom was like, yeah, well, like, I'm the caramel and your father's the cheddar. And we just go well together. I said, I, I, I see that. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it made me think of that because, um, well, the, my mom especially, but um, they're both just very concerned about, like, they're going to be stuff at some point. You know, they will turn to a pile of matter. Um, and, you know, uh, they are very concerned about the space that they're going to take up um, when they're uh, no longer here. And it, um, I don't know, it just made me think of that. So. Yeah, I think that's going to come. And I know, oh, Tygen, you want to say something? You're on, you're on mute. Sorry, just, just yeah, just briefly. Um, if any, the whole question of what happens with ashes and the container to put them in, and I, you know, I want to be cremated too. But um, if anybody hasn't seen the ending, the, the Big Lebowski and the end of it, uh, there's a very uh, interesting uh, uh, depiction of what happens with ashes. So just to say that. And uh, uh, maybe I'll add that, um, that, Jerry, your talk was really rich. I think, you know, there's so many more things that I can think of to say and that probably all of us could about holding on and letting go and different aspects of that. And um, and uh, how do we, what do we do with that? But maybe it's, maybe this, this is enough <laughs> and, and we could do the closing chant. I'm going to um, offer up one one final offering to the group, which if you don't know the poem, One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. Um, it's truly wonderful. I'm going to put a link in the chat. I didn't want to do it earlier while people were talking. Uh, but treat yourself. Spend two minutes after, after announcements reading that poem. It's very germane. 
Uh, so I will now do the vows. I think we're good with hot words. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it.